0: and you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash slash film hello everyone and welcome to slash film daily for thursday september 30th 2021 on today's episode of the show we're going to be talking about the latest film and tv news and then i'm going to share an interview that i did with actor tim blake nelson my name is ben pearson i am a senior writer at slash film.com and i am joined on today's episode by slash film senior writer and chief film critic chris evangelista hello hello All right, Chris, let's jump right into the news today. Uh, I want to talk about a news item first off that uh, sort of, uh, I guess goes with something that I was talking about on a a previous episode of the show. So uh, Peter and I, on a recent episode of Slash Film Daily, were talking about this lawsuit that is um, happening in the world of Marvel that could end up having some pretty serious ramifications for the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I mentioned that there is a similar lawsuit happening in the world of uh, the Friday the 13th franchise, where original screenwriter Victor Miller has been sort of entrenched in a legal battle for years, since 2016, I think. And the the basic, the very, very short version is he wrote the script and uh, tried to file termination, which basically would restore the rights to uh, Friday the 13th back to him as a writer. But the studio and, and the original director were basically saying, no, no, you can't do that because you were under this quote-unquote work-for-hire uh, contract when you wrote this. And uh, Victor Miller, the screenwriter, was like, no, I'm, I was not. And so they've been going back and forth in the courts. And uh, a, a judge has a, a, has basically just held up his appeal. So he is going to get the rights to Friday the 13th back. Uh, as I mentioned on that episode with Peter, though, it's a little bit complicated when it comes to the Friday the 13th franchise, because basically what, he, what it seems like he'll be getting is the name the Friday the 13th but not really all of the iconography that is closely associated with that franchise, because it took a few movies for Jason Voorhees to become the hockey mask wearing killer that we sort of know him as today, primarily. So uh, what do you think about this, Chris? I I assume you've been sort of, uh, you know, checking in on on this lawsuit over the years as a big horror guy yourself. What do you think about just the story as it is right now? And then what do you think about the future of what he could possibly do with the Friday the 13th name that doesn't involve what Jason origin or, you know, uh, eventually became.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't really want to see a Friday the 13th movie that doesn't have, you know, the iconography stuff in it. You know, I know you can make that, but I don't, I don't think anyone wants that. Honestly, like if people want a new Friday the 13th movie, they want, you know, the stuff, the stuff they're they're familiar with. So <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine you know a film without that. You know I you know I would love a new Friday the Thirteenth. It's been a long time. I'd love a new you know Nightmare on Elm Street movie. But I'm also fine if you know those things just never come back because we get we have a lot of them. There are a lot of Friday the Thirteenth movies, and you know it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if we didn't have more.
0: Yeah, it's just wild to think that like maybe Victor Miller could relaunch the franchise but with an entirely different um like main character main villain even and i i wonder if he would be bold enough to try something like that because like you mentioned when people go to a friday the 13th movie they are, are expecting to see jason but what if he <laughs> creates out of whole cloth a new you know uh Bob, the slasher knife killer or something. I don't know. You know, like, w- w- would people riot? Would people be, like, uh, intrigued enough to check something like that out? I don't know. Um, I assume, you know, uh, horror fans, Chris, you can speak to this more than I am, but they seem like an open-minded bunch. But do you think the um, the horror community, how do you think a horror community might react to something like that?
1: I don't think they'll uh, want that. But I don't you know. I could be wrong. You know, I... You know, I no, I, I honestly don't think <laughs> anyone
0: wants that. Okay. All right. Let's move on to uh, something that Sylvester Stallone has been talking about doing for a long time. He has been working on a director's cut of Rocky Four, and now there's some new news about that. What's going on there, Chris?
1: Yes, we're getting a new cut of Rocky Four, which also has a new title, and that title is Rocky Four, Rocky versus Drago, the ultimate director's cut uh so this is uh, as the title suggests a director's cut of rocky for it's going to deliver 40 minutes of never before seen footage from the film and it also says quote the fight scenes are more intense the music is more powerful and the drama is heightened blah 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 blah. and so <laughs> i don't know you know why that would be different but sure whatever uh so this is going to be screening nationwide via fathom events uh you can buy tickets to it now if that's something you want to do it's going to be uh, available also on demand and digital everywhere on friday november 12th uh the the theatrical screenings is, are going to be on november 11th
0: okay so that's like a one night only theater yeah. experience okay um so what do you make of this chris 40 minutes that seems like an awful long time doesn't it
1: yeah i can't imagine uh what that i'm guessing it's that you know there's more slow motion running and stuff like that and <laughs> you know things of that nature that's what i'm imagining and they just, it just goes on even longer
0: i like rocky 4 quite a bit but 40 minutes man that's that is a uh that's sort of tough to swallow in this era where everything I mean, I know that that the '80s have a reputation for um, for bloat and excess, but it feels like today's modern blockbusters uh, sort of have have carried that torch, and everything feels way too long today as it is already. So going back to something from that period and adding that much time, man, I don't know. I mean, Stallone is a really really fascinating figure, and and he has. Uh, He has resurrected the Rocky character more than once, I think, in in that franchise. So for him to to spend all this time specifically on this movie for this director's cut is... Intriguing to me on one level, but man, that, that 40 minutes is like a, a big hump to get over. So uh, I'm curious to see what people think about this. And I, I think I'll probably like wait to see what the general reaction is before I like dive into a director's kind of rocky for it. But, um, all right, let's talk really quickly about Apple TV plus. So there have been some reports and, and sort of, um, expectations and, and, uh, and, and maybe even like, um uh, estimations that f- Apple TV plus had reached 40 million subscribers by the end of last year. A lot of this stuff is, um, is like under lock and key and it's tough to tell, uh, when the, the companies don't like openly release the stuff, but because of some negotiations that are happening between Apple and IOTC, the, the international Alliance of theater, uh, theatrical stage employees is like a big thing. And I think we'll have an article on, on Slashfilm about that soon, this big conflict and potential strike that's looming in the distance. Um, so, so go to Slashfilm to read more about that. But uh, Apple, during the, their negotiations, the uh, actual number of subscribers for Apple TV Plus came out, and it's actually around 20 million instead of 40 million. So uh, that's not great considering Apple TV plus launched in 2019, right around the same time as Disney plus and Disney plus has hundred million plus subscribers at this point. And, uh, Netflix of course is, is hovering around 200 million. So Apple TV plus is sitting at what a 10th of that. Um, Chris, what do you, what do you make of this? Does this sound about right to you considering like how much people talk about or how little people talk about Apple, Apple TV plus stuff, maybe Ted Lasso, notwithstanding,
1: uh i guess it's I don't, mm. yeah I, I think it does sound about right because i honestly don't hear people talk about much on I, you know, ted lasso and the morning show are like the only two things i really ever see people talking about like every once in a while someone will mention uh dickinson i guess but that's like ending soon so i mm. i i uh i don't think apple did a really good job of um explaining to the public why they needed this service, which is a shame because Ted Lasso is great. And I've heard a lot of their other shows are great too. I just haven't gotten around to watching them. And I'm uh, apparently not alone in that because no one else has gotten around to watching them as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you like what your relationship is with that streaming service. Like what kind of stuff that you check out on there? I, I mean, it sounds like not very much. Um, I'm kind of in that same boat. I think I've heard great things about for all mankind, but I've yet to take that plunge. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, it's tough to to say here. Like, I, I wonder if Apple even really cares about this right now, because it strikes me as like the, um, that, uh, you know, uh, Silicon Valley sort of playbook of like what Netflix did and in, in the beginning, or like what a company like Uber or something where you just like spend a ton of money, like flood the market, put out Stuff and then you know worry about being profitable later. Um, and Apple obviously is is selling hardware and like they make their money elsewhere. They don't really care as much. This this uh, streaming service is like a secondary thing to them. It's more like Amazon in that regard, like Amazon Prime Video. So I wonder if they even care or if they're just concerned with like okay, let's craft you know a, a really solid library here and then get to the point where we can uh, maybe put out like a, a bigger push to like explain what the service is to people. It's a, it's a weird tactic if that's actually what they're doing, but um, are, are there any shows specifically, Chris, that you have like earmarked as like, oh yeah, I want to check that out. You know, when I get time, um, that are on Apple TV plus.
1: Not really. I mean, I'm looking forward to the new Martin Scorsese movie. <laughs> oh funny. yeah. Yeah.
0: That's right. I forgot, man. That, yeah. So they've got that. I think, um, the tragedy of Macbeth, I think is supposed to be coming to, to Apple TV plus as well. So, oh yeah. um, maybe, maybe that will help drive some attention there, but, uh, I mean, yeah, they've, they've got some good stuff, but, uh. But yeah, I guess it's a it's a tough thing, especially with as competitive as everything is in the streaming wars right now. But um, all right. So, Chris, the real reason that I wanted to have you on today's episode is because the embargo has lifted on reactions to the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die. So, Chris, you had a chance to see No Time to Die. And I'm curious, what did you think about it?
1: Uh, I really did not care much for it which oh is, no it really is a bit of a bummer i was looking forward to it i think you know daniel craig is a really good james bond i just think the movies around him have been that great um i really liked casino royale i thought that was great i liked skyfall and then the rest uh you know quantum solace and um specter i don't really like at all and this one falls somewhere in the middle um i one of the many problems with this is this is like a direct sequel to Spectre and Spectre is bad. Like I don't want more of the stuff that was in Spectre. Yeah. this is really just like wrapping up all the stuff that happened in Spectre. And I just, I don't care. And you know, this movie keeps hammering home that Bond and uh, a character's, her name is Madeline Swan or whatever. They're like, it keeps hammering home that they're like soulmates and they're in love. And James Bond and Leah Sadu I'm sure I was saying her name wrong but, uh Daniel Craig and Leah Sadu they have like zero chemistry together ah. they're they, you know they're they're drastically different in age first of all so and you know I, that doesn't bother me as much as some seems to bother some people but uh in movies but here it's it's really noticeable because she just looks like his daughter but he's like always like making out with her and it's just mm. like it's really weird and uh, I just you know I, I don't need James Bond to be monogamous, I guess I'm saying. I'm not, you know, I know things have changed. You know, I don't I don't I also don't need James Bond, you know, constantly like sleeping around and stuff like that. But I don't need a James Bond who's like, I only love this one woman and I can't love. It's like, ah. I don't like get out of here. Who cares? Well, that's
0: kind of what—that's what made Casino Royale so great. It was like he—he he tried that and then was betrayed by Vesper Lind. and right. that like is what—that was his origin story. That's what turned him into this sort of cold-blooded psycho almost yeah. that we—that he's become. Um, so yeah, for—for for him to—I guess there's like some sort of. Um, know dramatic arc that they're trying to do with this character it just feels like a little out of place with i guess the history of of uh bond as we know that character before but yeah
1: i mean i think the problem with with the the daniel craig era as a whole has been that they tried really hard to make it all one big connected thing and i don't I don't need that like you know the the previous james bond series you know the actors when they were in their own like sean connery and roger moore and, and so on those films had like you know loose connections but they weren't telling like one story across multiple movies it, they were basically standalone films and the the daniel craig era has tried to be one big interconnected series and i i really think that's hurt the uh the series as a whole, like, I feel like this would be so much better if they just let him do his own standalone stories. And instead, we've just gotten an entire series of a guy who's just been like, uh, he, he was basically like over the hill in the third movie, like by, by Skyfall, it was just like, I'm too old for this. Like, yeah. are you, like you just became James Bond <laughs> in this year. How are you already too old for this? like, it, it's just, it's just been a very weird series. And this, this film is very much about, you know, closing that that loop about wrapping everything up and uh i guess you know if you've been really invested in this interconnected journey you might be into it but if you're like me and you just want to see standalone james bond movies you're gonna be you know just a little let down and uh, you know, there's other things I didn't like about the movie too. It's it's too long. it's nearly three hours long, and I'm sorry, it does not need to be that long. You know, I I don't have a problem with long movies, but this movie did not need to be that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rami Malek's villain is just really boring, just really really boring character. Who's he, he's like barely in the movie too. Like, uh, I guess because it's so long, there's like two whole acts where he doesn't really figure into it at all, and then. Mm-hmm then he shows up and it's like who cares about this guy like i don't give a shit so i don't know like you know i i loved casino royale always like that one but uh you know i'm i'm very curious to see where the series goes from here and i think after everyone gets to see it they're also going to be very curious because uh they're going to have to do something different now because this you know they can't just be like new bond new adventures they're going to have to really th- think outside the box. I'm very curious to see how they, they go about it.
0: Well, that's disappointing. Um, I guess I should mention, we have a big uh, early buzz article on the site, rounding up a ton of reactions and stuff. And Chris, you're certainly not alone in, in feeling let down and disappointed by this movie, but there are some folks out there who really love this. So maybe like you're saying, they're just more invested in, in that interconnected story or something. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, James Bond like a new Bond movie is such an event that I I don't think uh we're going to convince people one way or the other like people have probably made up their minds about whether or not they're going to see this but yeah. the one question that I did have for you Chris is what did you think about um Kerry Joji Fukunaga the director of this um I've been really impressed by a lot of the stuff that he's made in the past what did you think about his direction here
1: um it's okay for the most part uh the action looks pretty good and you know visually it looks good in general um but I didn't really get a sense of him as a filmmaker here. Like I've seen his other work and I've, I've liked it. I really loved what he did on um true detective that first season, mm-hmm. but I don't want to say this movie feels like anonymous, but I don't really, I still don't really have a sense of him as a filmmaker. I, I guess I need to see more from him before I can really, kind a of grasp on what he does i mean the movie looks good it's not like it's like oh this looks like shit you know and the, you know, the action is certainly coherent which can't be said for you know other movies in this series like quantum of solace which is yeah. like the action like the opening chase scene in that movie there are so many cuts you can't figure out what the hell is going on and thankfully <laughs> the action in this one isn't like that it's a lot clearer so yeah it's it's well directed for what it is but I didn't come away from this being like, Oh, I can't wait for this guy to make more movies. Like I want to see him do something he can put his own stamp on, I guess, because this really does feel like he's trying to follow a formula and I'd rather see him do, you know, something different, you know? Yeah. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, did you ever watch his, uh, Netflix series maniac? Oh, I did.
1: I really liked that actually. Yeah, me too. Idea. I
0: feel like nobody, Like nobody watched that. And if they did, like it just sort of landed with a thud for most people. But I really enjoyed that show. I hope more people, uh, you know, discover it over the years. But um, I think there's a lot of like really interesting stuff happening there. The good, there's really good performances from Jonah Hill and Emma Stone in it. So um, there are so many shows, there are so many things that come out on Netflix. I feel like that one just completely slipped through the cracks for folks. But um, all right. So, uh, I, I guess now I'm just going to transition into my interview with, uh, Tim Blake Nelson for this new movie that he is in called old Henry. Chris, have you happened to see, uh, did you see old Henry? Do you know anything about this? Movie? No, I know about it. I just have
1: not watched it yet, but I do love me some Tim Blake Nelson.
0: Yeah. He is really, really great in the lead role in this new Western. I talked about it a little bit with Brad earlier, uh, this week in, uh, what we've been watching kind of segment, And, um, yeah. I, I had a chance to speak with Tim Blake Nelson over Zoom. Um, oh, oh, Chris, uh, I mentioned uh, when I was doing research for uh, the interview with Tim Blake Nelson, I stumbled across the fact that he directed Oh, the, uh, yes, the Shakespeare yeah. adaptation that we were talking about on that recent yeah. episode of the podcast. I had no idea. Did you know that? Did you know? I did you know correct? that actually. Okay. Yeah. Oh man, I, I would, that sort of blew me away. So I asked him a little bit about that um, and he sort of shared some of his his memories about making that movie. We talked a little bit about uh, Guillermo del Toro's upcoming Nightmare Alley, which he's also in. Uh, and he uh, he shared with me that he um, has written a novel about, uh, well, I'll, t- I'll let you, I'll let him tell you what it's about, but I, yes. I'm very excited uh, to, to read or, you know, yeah eventually read that book when it comes out, I think next year or maybe 2023. So um, yeah, here without further ado is uh, character actor, Tim Blake Nelson. So let's get into it. Uh, first of all, congratulations on this movie. I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm really excited for people to see it and especially to see your work in it because I thought you were outstanding in it. Um, I've heard you speak fondly in the past about being a character actor and the joys that come with not being the hero on screen. And I'm wondering if you missed that dynamic at all
2: when you were making this movie. No, because I looked at this as a character part. Uh, I, I don't think I'll ever play a traditional leading man. I think that that every part I'll play will be, um, even if it's the lead in the movie, I look at it as a as a a character role, and I'm 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 delighted by that, and I I, I feel especially blessed when the character role happens to be the lead role in the film. Yeah, uh, it's not essential for me, or I'd have no career because. Lead roles for character actors come along seldomly, uh, but I never looked at this as uh, in, in any way in which you know where I thought, well, I'm the I'm the uh, I'm a leading man here.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, this is a guy. He's a he's a dad trying to raise his son as best he can with a past he's trying to not only to hide but utterly to repress. Yeah. And because of an act of compassion, he fails to do so and tragic events ensue.
0: Um, I'm curious, like, it seems like there's something primal and elemental about a Western that is kind of tough to put into words. You know, there's such a rich cinematic legacy there. Did you feel any of that sort of ineffable Western magic while making this movie?
2: I certainly did. And I what I I think that the, the Western is a quintessentially American form or genre. Because we're a young country that relied on the gun for westward expansion. And for resources and um and and land we had to move west, and we used the gun to accomplish that. Westerns also celebrate the the iconoclast and the individual, and that too is essentially American. We prefer individual rights to the rights of the collective that's one of the big issues or you know that separates us from from the europeans yeah uh and then finally westerns are movies originally they were books but when we think of westerns we really think of movies and that's something that america brought to the world yeah and it's all you know That's all inside of this genre. And then each generation gets to reinvent that genre and and reflect itself through each new iteration of it. Uh, Being a part of that tradition, particularly as a kid who grew up in Oklahoma and watched Sergio Leone movies every weekend is is nothing short of an honor. Yeah. Um,
0: You were rocking an absolutely incredible mustache in Old Henry, and I was wondering if you could tell me about the decision, uh, you know how that decision was made how that came to be.
2: Uh, You want the truth of the matter. Sure yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I knew I was going to play the part uh, about a year out. And so I decided well he's wanting to conceal himself. He's old Henry so he's got some age on him Um, I'm going to grow a beard and just let it grow for six months and so I did so and right before I started growing it I was supposed to do a role for Guillermo del Toro in Nightmare Alley and then COVID happened and so the movie got pushed indefinitely and finally, they decided, well, we're, we're back up, and your dates are, I think it was uh, end of October, and I knew that I had, was going to be shooting Old Henry in November, and I had this monster beard, and so I sent Guillermo a picture, and he said, can you trim it back? And I said, Yeah. He said, Great, then you can keep it. And then about three weeks later, he wrote and said, No, you've got to lose the beer. <sighs> and I can tell you why, but it would spoil Nightmare Alley. So it, it was clear that I couldn't have a big bushy beer just because of the scene, you know, the, just because of the part and the People acting opposite me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I lost the beard. And then when I got up there to shoot, he said, you got to lose the mustache too. And I said, please, Guillermo. (laughs) And we went back and forth. And finally he assented and said, you know what? The mustache will actually be fine. And I got to keep it. And shape it in a way that would work for both movies with scruff added. And so I did the part in Nightmare Alley and then I had three weeks before I needed to shoot on Popsy's movie for, for old Henry and I was able to grow scruff around it. And um, there we were.
0: Well it worked out really well. I loved the final look.
2: In fact I think it's better than than if I'd had the beard.
0: Um, I I would love to ask you about just a a couple other of your projects, if you don't mind. Um, I I really enjoyed your work in Watchmen in particular, which I thought was just a spectacular piece of storytelling from top to bottom. I was wondering if you had any stories that you can share from your time on that show.
2: All I can say is that, that working for Damon Lindelof is as thrilling as it gets, first and foremost, because he's such an imaginative storyteller that you truly don't know where your character is headed, nor could you ever imagine where your character is gonna be headed. Uh, And and that was really exciting week to week. Um, Man, you know, how about that?
0: Yeah, that's great, that's great. Um, and just a few days ago, my colleague and I were talking about Shakespeare adaptations and we were reminiscing about that era of the teen-centric films like Baz Luhrmann's Romeo, Romeo and Juliet and 10 Things I Hate About You and the Othello adaptation O. And I have to admit that I never realized that you directed O, and I was, I was kind of blown away by that. And I was just wondering if you had any, uh, any recollections of making that movie, your experience of on course. that. Of course,
2: know, that script came to me while I was working on the Thin Red Line in Australia. Uh, as an actor. And my wife was visiting me and we both trained on Shakespeare at Juilliard. So we know most of the plays really, really well. Uh, And this was in 1997. And I abominated that they were making all these high school Shakespeare adaptations because I felt that inherently they were dumbing down the stories. And then I read Othello O, I read the script for O because it was offered to me as a director and I just couldn't put it down. And I thought to myself, "Damn! not only does this work, it's perfect because there've been all these high school shootings and where else but a high school in the cauldron of all the jealousy and gossip and hormonal extremes? Mm-hmm. Um, would you know where else would Othello fit better? Right now, it could be such a an apt social commentary. And so I said, "I'm going to join in this trend that I." Haven't much liked, and um, uh, made the film. All of
0: those movies, I think, ushered in for my generation anyway. It was like a an alternate entry point into Shakespeare. So I think they, you know, uh, I'm sure they're the um <laughs> the general thought about them at the time may have been one thing. But I think if you poll, you know, a lot of people my age, like those movies ended up, uh, you know, as a collective, like helping introduce people to a Shakespeare, to Shakespeare in, in a really I, exciting I, way.
2: I, I completely agree, and it was great to have my mind changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so uh, you mentioned uh, Nightmare Alley. I just watched the original film, the 1947 film, which is really great. And I'm, I'm just curious um, if you could tell me about the the tone of that adaptation. I know you probably can't say much about the Del Toro version, but just like the, um, it seems the from the original, from the 47 film, seems a little darker than some of the stuff that Guillermo has worked on recently.
2: Guillermo is an eloquent social critic in his films. And he's deeply interested in the ramifications of fascism and the ramifications of uh, social Darwinism and capitalism and where they intersect. Nightmare Alley is a, 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 a profound meditation on the ladder.
0: Yeah, that's great. And then uh, my last question for you is, you haven't directed anything in a little while, so I was just curious if you're developing anything, if you, if you are planning to direct anything else soon.
2: I don't know which one it's going to be, but I have a few scripts, uh, and it's just a question of which one uh, will take off. I wrote a novel um, that I'm editing with an editor right now that's going to be published next year. And then I wrote a play uh, about the life of Socrates that was done at the public theater just before the pandemic. So I took a little bit of time off from directing movies. Awesome. What's the novel
0: about, if you don't mind
2: me asking? It um, is about Hollywood right as the pandemic is starting
0: that's a really cool idea oh man i'm excited about that
2: (laughs) Well, i hope um we can talk again when it's coming out it'll be coming out um in the winter of next year yeah it's a long process writing a novel i never knew
0: (laughs) (laughs) well thank you very much again for your time and and again congrats on this movie i I really really enjoyed it a lot
2: my pleasure and i'm grateful for your interest in it that a little movie like this needs its supporters
0: yeah, yeah, I I will definitely be uh shouting from the mountaintops on on slashfilm.com. So, thank you. Thanks, man. All right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. Old Henry comes out in theaters tomorrow. So, if you want to check that out, I would encourage you to do so. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on t- today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slashfilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.
3: Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's swing for the fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing if you get a single